H.A. Jason here. Enjoying your latest episodes. I don't really have anything to say about the character creation on Roleplay Rescue because, you know, I'm not the target audience, but I think that's great information. As far as your Patrononi Shadowrun review, I'm sorry it didn't overly impress you. If you want to try it, even if you just want to do a mock combat, you know, I'm your Huckleberry. I'm, I'm happy to give that a shot. I was always more of a Cyberpunk 2020 guy than a Shadowrun guy. Shadowrun always, I don't know. I read the books, but we never actually played it. We always played Cyberpunk. Just something about it just didn't, I, it, I don't know what it was. But I would definitely be willing to give it a shot and help you test run it. So let me know. Talk to you later. Things he won't share with us. The darkness in his brain. The dungeon master's plan. The pleasure and the pain. What's better left unknown? Keep calling out to me. My name is Che Webster, and this is the Roleplay Rescue Dungeon Master's Diary. Hi Che, it's Goblin Senshman here. So thanks very much for your message this morning about uh, my uh, measuring up episode where I discussed um, how I was feeling inhibited about drawing in a map book because I, I felt that it wouldn't be <laughs> as uh, good as you know some other people's maps and why that why that why we was even even thinking those thoughts but um actually I was thinking about this a bit more and I think because I've got your message you sort of really helped me sort of bring that to a nub and I think the two things are important I think really is um you know almost I don't want to sound too cheesy but sort of a love and sincerity and I think basically um when I was thinking about drawing in these books and drawing maps and having them be, you know, in quotes, good, measuring up, uh, I actually realised that actually I'm not especially motivated to draw maps at the moment. It's not something that actually I love um, in the sense that I want to be able to do that as a sort of almost like an art form. I just want to, if I want to draw a map, I'm just going to draw it for my own use and I'm not worried about measuring up. Um so, you know, the stuff I do do, I think I do enjoy, and that's why I, you know, have got better at it. And this is going to maybe sound a bit ludicrous and a bit uh, possibly wrong, <laughs> but I I remember when I used to be on G+, and there's a really great artist on there called Luca, Luca Rejek. He's a, I think he's, uh, anyway, he lives in South Korea and does great art. I'm sure you know him. He's the author of UVG. Um He's a great artist and he's a great author, actually. But he posted when he was on G Plus about five years ago a um, um, a picture saying, this is where I was drawing five years ago. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, I mean, it's not a great deal better than what I could do now. I mean, I'm probably over-egging it maybe a bit, but it wasn't particularly special. It was good art and um, it was, you know, fine. But nothing, nothing on a patch of where he was five years later, where he's you know, absolutely brilliant. But what he did was he just he was drawing because he loved drawing, and he basically posted something pretty much every single day for at least five years, and that transition was quite stark because he was enjoying it. He wasn't worrying about measuring up. He was just doing what he loved. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm inferring here, 
Um, but I think that's quite quite clearly what, what happened. And because he loved it and wanted to do it, he wasn't worrying about being better than anyone else or as good as anyone else. He just did it and wasn't feeling inhibited. You know, and it slightly, slightly reminds me of um, when I was at school, there was a kid and I think he was on his 15th birthday or 14th birthday, he was given a set of like tubes of paint, like kind of oils or something, acrylics. And he would never open them because he always said, I'm not going to open these until I'm good at drawing, until I'm good at painting. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, if someone gave me a thousand pounds to bet which way he went with that, I'm, I'm, I would bet that he never, ever opened those tubes of paint because he never thought he was quite there ready to use them. Whereas if he probably opened them up, spoiled them, messed around, it's like good art paper. I always feel really bad drawing on good art paper. But if you're a real artist out there, you've got to like, you've got to make some messes. You've got to learn. Because each time you draw you and do something, you get better. And, you know, you take something like your, like podcasting, your podcast. Like, for example, you're very good at that because I think that's your, what you love. You're good at it because you enjoy it. And that's why you're improving and have as many people listen to you as you do. I mean, I look at my particular podcast and I sort of started on a whim and it's certainly... You know, all, all I'll say is I've done some episodes and they're more like thought bubbles than anything else. And, you know, they're not, there's nothing fancy or great about them. But, you know, I do think even even despite my um, low ambition in that area, if you like, I've definitely improved already without even, even you know, subconsciously trying to improve. I've just got better. And I remember a few years back I did Inktober because I used to at school really love drawing. I realised how... I thought it would just be an innate ability, but I realised that actually I'd actually gone back quite you know, a reasonable way from when I was at school because I was drawing every day. You know, and after 13 days of October, Inktober, I just kind of stopped because I found the format a bit stressing, a bit, you know, having to do something every day to a theme. But I definitely, by the end of the 13 days, I definitely had gained some of those skills back. But I, I think, you know, you've got you to put yourself out there to get better. Don't do it... I think it's about sincerity. Don't do it because you want your peers to be impressed or measure up. I think you just got to do it because you want to do it and love it. Anyway, sir, um, I'm a bit I'm a bit back on your podcast. I've been actually almost was thinking about dropping you a voice message today just to say, uh, hope you're trucking on and all that. But uh, since you got to me first, I will just say it now. Keep on trucking on, sir. <laughs> all right. Um, cheers, Jay. I uh, will catch up on your episodes at some point. Cheerio. Take care. Bye. It's Monday afternoon and uh, yesterday was quite productive with the Han stuff. I spent a lot of my day actually, I've been printing off uh, sections of stuff or whole units of stuff from Han. Uh, from Columbia Games and starting to read through it which has been great and I've had a notebook on hand and really been sort of making notes of things that caught my eye or that I thought were interesting so that was positive I have to say that I'm returning to work today Monday oh my goodness I have very little motivation to do anything I've I've done my work I'm tired and I uh, I just can't face um, thinking actually (laughs) it's just like it gives me a headache to think um I think that one of the issues I have is related to um, really kind of waiting for my players to sort out the characters and sort out sort themselves out as a group or as a pair of groups. Really, have uh, nine players, um, 
one of the guys who sort of decided to bail has returned, and uh, that's cool. But the sort of there is a sort of sort um, amount, a certain amount of pressure that I sort of placed on the players over the weekend because I I suggested that you know. Or really, more than suggested, I pointed out to them that they're just not talking to each other. And what's happening is you're creating a bunch of characters that are very independent of each other. They don't necessarily sort of hang together as a group. So in a game which is very low points and in which characters are just slightly better, you know, they're slightly competent humans, they're not heroic by any means, they're not in any way kind of, you know, novel (laughs) kind of level heroes or anything silly like that. They are characters that will, you know, if they're lucky, survive uh, if they work together. And it's kind of imperative that they work together. And what's sort of happening is that players are going away creating their characters that they're interested in and not thinking about each other particularly, or it doesn't appear that way anyway. They're certainly not discussing it. And um, I'm trying to point this out, and that kind of led to some friction. I think that uh, the limits of what you can do on Discord are kind of become apparent, you know, that that format of uh, text flow isn't good uh isn't easy for people to keep up with over time uh secondly is obviously with communication limits words only is seven percent of human communication so there's an awful lot of misunderstanding going on and uh yeah that's really really difficult and of course you know ideally what we would do is we'd get online and we would talk it out but um i can't easily get everyone together online so I don't know. There's a part of me that's really seriously tempted to make that first game session sort of session zero, you know, like getting them to hang it all together. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how they do with generating characters and getting something to me before that session. And um, I think I'm going to have to look very strongly at how the first session goes in terms of pulling the player characters together. The players, I think, you know, have a will to work together sort of broadly uh but their characters you know they're gonna have to they're gonna have to think carefully about their motivations and why they're doing what they're doing and of course there's two levels in which you have to hook um role-playing games you know you have to hook the players and they have to be interested in what you're doing but you also have to hook the characters and you know bind them together in some way there needs to be some glue as the angry gm would put it to hold those characters together and i think that's what I'm worrying about. But anyway, you know, biggest part of why I'm just frustrated today is because I just feel very little energy. I think um, all of the pressures of of the lockdown and worries about work. I mean, last night's speech from the PM has done no good for my anxiety. The vagueness of the British government around this is just so obvious. And uh, without getting into a huge political rant, I just want to say I am struggling today. Enough said. Hi, Che. It's Barry here from Shadow of the GM podcast. I'm um, just ringing. I'm weeks and weeks behind with the podcast, so there's probably a bit out of date now. So if it's no good, don't use it. Don't worry. Um, but just saying, you're talking about second edition AD and D, and just to say that was the system I started using when I started role playing, and the one I still use. Um, one thing that I always say to check out for AD and D two are the historical reference booklets because they have good ideas for mixing up with some settings, historical stroke, fantasy stroke, legendary, mythic versions of sort of games. And so, for example, if you look at ancient Greece, you can do it as a purely historical Bronze Age, but also the ideas for adding the fantasy elements in for AD&D. And I found this quite cool to mess around with games and sort of do like a non-standard AD&D game where it's more historical based or, you know, sort of historic fantasy, for lack of a better word. Um, has to be said, though, having played GURPS, they're not anywhere near as good as the GURPS works books, in my opinion. But for AD&D, they're really good because it's specific and give you extra classes and weapon proficiencies and things. So just want to lay that out there. So let me know if it's any good or any not, or if you've actually got them and if you had used them in the past. Thanks. 
Hey, Barry, thanks for your call. Um, short answer is yes, I know about the AD&D 2E uh, historical things. Um, I think I own the Greek and the Roman and the Egyptian ones. I think that's right. I might not have the Egyptian one, uh, but I definitely got the Greek and Roman one. Um, always wanted to do a Greek slash Roman ancient game, so always collect anything with that kind of content. Um, but yeah, thanks for the call in. You know, I've used them in the past. I agree with you. They're, they're not as good as the GURPS stuff. I mean, you know, in terms of content for... Uh, you know, setting and detail and uh, looking at things historically for gaming. I don't really know anything better than GURPS. The nearest I get to something better than GURPS is the Mithras stuff. If you want, like, mythic Rome, for example, mythic Rome it specifically is really, really good. And mythic Constantinople, if you're like a later period, is also very, very good. Uh, mythic Britain. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, again, they're specific to a particular system, so... Anyway, just want to say thank you for the call. And also just want to say thank you to Goldman's henchmen and also from Jason uh, for the calls earlier in this show. I didn't think there was much I could add to what the, both of you guys had to say, but I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, back with a diary. Wednesday morning, just back from the old walkie thing. I had a terrible night's sleep. Um... Yeah, fell asleep at 8pm last night, absolutely shattered, was trying to read and just couldn't focus and decided to put the book down and then before I knew I was asleep, it was a complete crash and uh, of course woke up at about 11pm and then woke up again about 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, something like that and um, have pretty much lain for hours trying to sleep, um, should have got up to be honest with you, should have done something but um what I was doing is I was thinking, and um, I guess there are a few thoughts that are sort of bubbled around my mind that are worth just making note of. And the first is how I'm about to run up against the barrier with the fantasy game in Han. I'm about to run up against my barrier, the unfamiliarity barrier, the barrier of I'm really out of my depth now and holy crap, you know, I'm scared. And... Um, you know, I've been focused on getting the players sorted, getting them building their characters, which is starting to do. A few of them are starting to come in to me. I've, I've got to take the time to review those characters. But I'm now really getting down to the hard stuff. Um, now, yesterday I edited the interview that's sort of coming out on Saturday with um, uh, Jason Hobbs, which will, by the time this goes out, will be in the past. <laughs> so well worth listening to that interview. I, I really enjoyed it. It's really long, but hey. Um, but actually we're talking about serious play and I want to do serious play. Um, but of course I want that, but I don't really know how to do that. I think we talked about this in the interview and, um, so I'm in new territory and I juxtapose that, I compare that with, uh, what I'm aiming to do tonight. Um, I don't know, I think at the weekend I sort of said, does anyone want to come and just play some GURPS fights? Um, I really enjoy the combat system of GURPS and uh, especially the tactical combat system on a battle grid. Now, that's not a, a combat system that I would deploy in every game, um, but I kind of enjoy it. So I love that sort of step on up, um, let's have a bit of a, a, a bit of a fight kind of game. And uh, it's, it's kind of light, isn't it? it it's a tactical challenge. Um, it's fun and interactive, but it's basically quite simple to do. Uh, it doesn't require an awful lot from me 
as a GM to prepare. Although, you know, there's a bit to do. And um, overnight, it sort of occurred to me that um, this is me wanting to really develop my uh, light and easy, breezy GURPS adaptation, really. Um, Because, you know, it's that stuff about randomly rolling characters. It's that stuff about it being... um, more of that simple dungeoneering game, that introduction to play and to GMing, that actually I think is is really key. Um, I've come to the view that GMs probably should start with dungeons, even if only once you run one, but you should start there because it teaches you some basics of how to actually um, present scenes, adjudicate actions, um, and sort of, describe the world and um it also teaches you how the game works the basic fundamentals of a role-playing game are taught through that so I, i'm really keen on that i know kind of almost like developing that module of of play that i can deploy in school and give to other other beginners i guess i sort of feel like I, i've got this little mini thing that I, I kind of want to be able to sort of give to someone I don't know how to do it whether to write it down and give it as a as a booklet whether to do it as a, a video or podcast I don't know but I kind of feel like there's a thing that I want to create maybe actually it has elements of all those things maybe um, it's something I can present in multiple ways I don't know but I I want to build that and I guess so tonight I guess um, what I realize is I kind of I mean in players come along thinking hey I'm going to bring a small character and have a fight I think that um, I am playtesting and developing something, uh, my little arena game. Uh, it's sort of what I'm calling a dungeon arena because um, I'm inspired by some of the early uh, Steve Jackson Malay stuff where, yeah, there's sort of that combat arena to learn the rules. And by the time you get to Wizard, you're sort of in tunnels. And by the time you get to Into the Labyrinth, obviously you're in the labyrinth. But I kind of think there's a there's a real, there's a bit of fun to be had in sort of small um dungeon like tunnels sort of fighting things I, i'm mindful of stuff like um the running man uh you know that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing anyway um yeah so there's these two things going on this is kind of i get quite excited about that kind of idea by the way that kind of light and easy breezy sort of thing because that's dead familiar um and therefore relatively easy and therefore i feel confident about it and i get excited about things i'm confident about and on the other hand i sort of really been excited to explore the world of han um but i'm terrified of, i don't know how to write um and prepare for that you know um and i kind of i i have the theory you know in theory um but i it's about the application of that theory so that's what i've got to focus on over the next couple of weeks is really putting that into practice and i'm quite scared and i think the barrier is that fear isn't it that actually this is going to be crap and people are just going to walk away from you thinking yeah you don't know what crap you're talking about um you know it will fail um and in the past i'll be honest it's just been easier to not try you know um but in the um you know amazing words of of the band asia how can i uh contribute if i don't even try Right. So I'm going to have to push through this one, and I think it's going to be quite tough. And um, whew, I guess I better sort of try and log the steps. Um, and I think what I'm going to do is try and write down what I do 
and then try and go back review that after you know as I get the game out get the session down I'm going to spend a lot of time wanting to review what I've been doing um, adjusting what I'm doing and in evolving an approach to this game that actually works for me and I think what I what I have to have in mind all the time is that that guidebook is for me but obviously I'm quite happy to freely share that because I just I'm just absolutely and utterly frustrated with a game market where nobody um, who's really producing that high-end book is also producing practical really practical stuff I mean you have to go digging around on YouTube and in podcasts like this and all over the place to find this stuff. And uh, I don't know, it's like, I want to make it easy, you know. Um, but then that, maybe that's just hubris because, um, I mean, you know, what do I know? I'm terrified to even try doing what I'm doing. So I'm clearly not the right person to be writing this. Um, anyway, I'm blittering. Um, so I'll shut up. Thursday. Last night, uh played some Fighters of Thal, actually. Uh, what am I talking about? Basically, me and four other guys hopped up online. Um, we got onto Fantasy Grounds Unity just to have a play with that. That's still in beta, so sort of rough around the edges would probably be the way to describe it. But um, yeah, we threw down a very simple battle map, uh, hex map, and uh, got some very basic 50-point characters I'd sort of managed to find some time to knock up during the day. And they had a little bit of sort of all against all fight. And then I teamed them up against some bandits. We had to cut it short, unfortunately, due to some personal issues. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good uh, little experiment, really. I realized a couple of things. is that while I might feel comfortable with the game and the rules of combat from GURPS and what have you, and, and generally speaking, they're pretty straightforward, there are lots of things, lots of little nuances that I haven't um, internalized, you know, and this comes, it's something that actually I talk to students a lot about, this this whole, we can often believe that we know something, understand something, that we, we get it, you know, because actually we know where to look it up. Uh, students get very good, for example, in preparing for examinations, in knowing where in their book to look for things, where in their revision guide to look for things, where in the textbook to look for things. And it kind of gives you this illusion of knowledge. And this is a very real thing in uh, in learning. And um, uh, yeah, I, I suffer from an, an illusion of knowledge with GURPS. I think I know more than I do. So constantly um, coming back and uh, trying it out is going to be really important. So that was uh, really cool last night. And I'm really grateful to those guys for hopping on. It was a positive thing. Um, and I sort of enjoyed it. I, you know, after a really terrible day yesterday, um, so what was it, Wednesday, um, yesterday, the 13th of May. Hey, what an auspicious number if you're triskaidekaphobic. Um, that was the day that Gavin Williamson casually mentioned in Parliament and here in the UK that, you know, secondary school kids year 10 and 12 should be going back on the 1st of June. So basically that's about 10 days. It's nine days from now. And you have to bear in mind, uh, no, a little bit more than that, Sorry, I, I do tell a lie. 13 days from now um, and uh, 12 days from today. And um, yeah, that, that, that freaked everybody out because we'd previously been told two or three days ago that it might be primary, uh, might be primary from the 1st of June. And it certainly wouldn't be secondary until later on, maybe not until July, 4th of July onwards. Um, 
And he just casually changed his mind. What a great thing for the education secretary to do. That freaked everybody out. Anyway, I don't want to get too bogged down in politics. Suffice to say, um, I managed to kind of pull it together and grit my teeth and uh, decided to you know, just carry through on my game, which was a good thing for me. Um, what else? I had an interesting email from a listener um, who I won't name just because, you know, that's sort of not a fair thing to do. Uh, asking me what on earth I was thinking about mentioning that I was going to play Webster's Harm. And as you probably heard in the previous post, uh, yeah, I'm sort of feeling the worry about that. And I actually said to the guys last night, who I think all of them are wanting to play in it, I have, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do um, two sessions a month, actually, of different games, you know, like once a month, but with two different separate games in that world. I don't know how I'm going to manage that. Um, and it's a really big part of my brain says you aren't. So that's the thing. Uh, but hey, you know, try and push through. It's only because I have a surplus of players. Um, I don't want to lose those players. So I mean, it's an invi- invidious position, isn't it? As a as a game master, as a as a referee, you you want people to come and game with you, and you really like those people, and you want to spend time with them. Um, but you can only handle so much at a time, and you only have so much time available. And oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice problem to have, don't get me wrong. I've never been in, uh, so rich for gamers uh, as I am right now um, that it brings its own sort of problems, um, not least of which anxiety. So, yeah, I, I guess that the email was spot on. Um, but, hey, there you go. What else? Um, oh, I, uh, I got a couple of um, books I'd completely forgotten that I'd ordered uh, from Palladium Books, actually, uh, Civilization Gone supplement for um, Dead Rain, and uh, Rifts. There's a book on Merc Ops, I think it's called, um, which both of which are kind of appealed to me because they, um, well, they're things I like to sort of adapt across to my own gaming, I guess. Um, so Dead Rain. There are a number of ideas in there that I quite like. I quite like some of the way the zombies are described and the different types of zombie in there, which I'd like to sort of steal. And I, but there's also this really interesting mechanic that um, uh, sort of an exponential zombie hordes mechanic, where if you start to attract their attention, they, you know, as time passes, they kind of get more and more and more and more of them. Very like the films, very much like the TV series. I'm not sure how playable it is, to be honest with you, but I really like the idea of that mechanic. So. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd sort of like to play around with zombie stuff. I love zombie stuff. I was thinking it might make for a good sort of solo thing for me as well. Um, so I think of making a sort of uh, after-the-end um, zombie game with GURPS with a lot of zombies. So sort of after-the-end uh, plus the zombies book from GURPS. Uh, that'd be kind of fun. Um, and I just see that as a bit of a knockabout thing, really. You know, you kind of give people a, uh, a very short goal you know go get some food or something and then it's got to survive and just lots of zombies um be basically a sort of combat game i guess a sort of uh you know go in shoot shaft stuff up kind of get the goal um be a very sort of yeah very sort of step on up kind of gaming experience yeah sort of you know challenge game um but obviously it would offer more flexibility than a zombie shooter and um doesn't require the hand-eye coordination of a zombie shooter um uh, so, you know, that appeals to me. Right. I think I've witted enough for now. 
I'm going to leave it there. Sunday morning, and um, I should have said something yesterday, actually, but uh, unfortunately work intruded on my day in a way that just, I don't know, just utterly destroyed things. I'm not going to get into it, but it was a really tough day. Um, but I managed to sort of do some stuff. So in the morning before work intruded, before the text started, um, I actually wrote yesterday. I sat down and I wrote some stuff, um, and what I talked about is... Uh, non-fiction I guess I'm, I'm starting to talk about writing and it was um, a little, probably a little indulgent but actually I just kind of splurged onto the page and obviously there's going to be a massive need to go back and, and edit and rewrite but um, I've got some stuff down I got a couple of thousand two three thousand words down and uh, I only got interrupted by a text from a colleague which then led into a whole cascade of, of awfulness but I was really pleased about the fact that I wrote something yesterday that was really really good this has been building up in me. I've had notes. I've had a few thoughts. I've been kind of mucking around. Um, but the path back came in two steps. I think I think it was a Friday evening, or Friday afternoon, late afternoon, early evening. I, I rewrote um, something for the blog. So I, I rewrote a post which has just gone up uh, actually today on Sunday um, onto the blog, um, which is really based on you know, the very first episode I did for Roleplay Rescue, you know, what stops you from gaming. So I've really kind of rewritten that as a blog post and I put it up this morning. That's a bit of an experiment. I wanted to see what what that would feel like. And I also wanted to see what reaction would be to that, I guess. Um, but I think it might be useful to sort of put what was originally a script that I wrote, um, you know, in sort of a blog form. So it's slightly edited. But largely, you know, if you were listening to the episode, you were reading that you would you would notice that a there is a definite kind of uh, they are not exactly the same but they are very 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 close so that was the thing I did and I felt good about doing that because I think that repurposing some of the scripted elements of, of especially the early series now a year and a half on um, you know getting sort of recycling that um, in some way and put it onto the blog may well be useful and I think down the line if I get a collection of these sort of articles they could become you know put together on a page as a series of links or whatever and that could become a kind of reference point so I'm, I'm hoping that that will be a useful thing. But I think the act of rewriting it or just editing it and going through it and sort of slightly tweaking it um, was quite handy. It's very, it makes a very long blog post. Oddly, the podcast is much longer than um, a normal blog post. So I've got to think about that. I thought about breaking it into three pieces, but I thought on this particular case, I would just put it out as it was and see what that happen, what happens there. I think down the line, if I go to further do any of those, I might have to break those up, you know, into into smaller posts because blogs, um, well, people just don't read uh, a long for a long while, do they? I mean, three thousand word blog is not something people want to dig into normally. So anyway, I did it. I had a go. I think it's kind of me experimenting with my writing. That led to me doing some writing. I'm not going to talk about what I am writing because I want to keep that under wraps. There's a certain element of like you've got to keep your creativity under wraps. So I'm going to do that. But I am saying I'm working and I'm moving forward in a, in a really positive way. Day then got interrupted in a really horrendous way. And just emotionally, I was out I was out of there. And it really upset my wife to see me in that state. Um, so we're basically we're being asked to do something at work that I don't want to do. That is extremely stressful as an idea. Um, and it just triggered everything off. And that anxiety I'd felt... Um, has just sort of flooded back but actually um you know here's here's the thing i was able to to sort of do some again some stoic stuff uh some stoic techniques kind of helped me to reframe my day a little bit and in the evening i got online to do monster hunters uk uh episode two of the um the the exit 23 adventure which i basically adapted from from a dark matter adventure 
and we finished that off last night and I had a, I had a good time with that. Um, I don't think it was uh, quite as fun as the first session. Part of that was because of the way I was feeling and how tired I was. But actually, you know, what I was pleased about as GM is I got out there, I got on there, I, le- I played it, and I didn't let on to the players that I was in a bad way. You know, I just did not let that on. And I don't know if they picked up on it, but I did not let on. I did not say, you know, I just don't think that's worth me sharing. And it, it, the only reason I'm saying anything here is because this is the diary and, and that's what I do. Um, but I had a really good time and, um, you know, I really appreciate all those guys, uh, playing and I, I enjoyed that more than I expected to in lots of ways. Uh, it's a higher power game, about 200 point characters in GURPS and we were playing, um, using the Monster Hunter stuff. Um, um, but I, I created this sort of, this creature and, um, yeah, it all kind of went well. I, I basically had a bit of a sudden death end because whilst they survived, nobody None of the characters per se die. They were badly injured, but they didn't die. Um, they didn't succeed. Actually, the monster did achieve its goal, which they never quite twigged what it was up to, I guess. Um, so something for me to think about in terms of clues and clue giving, because I think, um, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily that obvious uh, when I think about it. But that's what you do. I mean, that's one of the things that comes from using a pre-written um adventure and sort of adapting it um i i did try to like make those clues more um or uh, take the clues that were in there and, and be aware of them so i could make sure i sort of dropped them but i i think actually uh, as with so many written adventures some of these cl- some of these clues are actually a little bit um obtuse so something i'm going to think about for my own writing because i think sometimes just being a bit more obvious allows the players to sort of pick up on things and then um, you know that that, make, that makes them feel, I think, like they they get it and they figure out what's going on. So that was something to think about. But in terms of the actual gameplay and everything else, it was kind of cool. I'm still finding things that in the game rules that I'm still kind of remember. The players throw things at you, and it's I think very difficult. What I was really grateful for is there are a couple of players who who have learned their stuff, and because they learned their stuff and it was similar stuff to other players, they were able to essentially fill in the the rules blanks and and not send me to the books but there were a couple of times where I got sent to the books and there were a few things that I just thought that kind of came up I think one of the things is that if you if players pick up objects in the game it would be really helpful when it's not their turn if they went and found out what those objects do like maybe if you pick up a a nine mil pistol in the game you know um it would be really useful for me as a GM if I was at a table what I'd probably do is just pass the card across the table maybe that's something I could do digitally somehow I think if we were on fancy grounds and then that's easy i drop the item onto the character sheet and they have it and it's all there and i think about it but i think when you're playing as we were which was just using hangouts and dice real dice and talking um essentially you know at that point players have to take more responsibility as if they were at the table i think and um it would be really helpful i think if players owned the things that were happening to their character uh, more but it's not a complaint it's just a sort of an observation um everything you make the gm look up and do and think about is is making the gm's job harder and you gotta bear in mind i had six people at a table so there's six people i'm trying to focus on and and help and support and, and make a game happen for and a lot of those guys are sitting there for a long period or fair periods of time not long or maybe a minute or two at a time not doing a lot um and it just seems like a in some ways it would be really great if players were were more like um i'm gonna look that up i'm gonna make sure i've got that um and even, of course, if that player doesn't have who did that doesn't have the book, it doesn't stop another player, um, you know, looking that up. Although, of course, it, they were using GURPS character sheet, and in GURPS character sheet, you know, 
there is equipment is in there and there's nothing stopping you sort of grabbing it and bung it on your sheet and it would just do all the calculations for you i just don't think we think like that in play i know i don't as a gm and i think there's something you know using digital tools is something for me to think about Okay, so final thought is on Han. I've been really blocked about this. There's a lot of fear because um, I think I said before that I've never done this. But I have run campaigns that weren't dungeons and 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 hex crawls before, but every single time has failed. In the long term, they've always failed. I'm much better at running a scenario or two, and then I kind of run out of steam because I found it really difficult to kind of maintain. So I have got to work on this, and this is a new kind of challenge for me. And so I have to take it on head on. But fear is a really big thing. It's an, you know, it's a massive barrier. And um, so in some ways, I'm taking on one of the hardest things I could take on. Um, but I feel like that is the challenge, right? Um, so to help me, there's a couple of things that I, I thought about. And one of them is to try and use digital note taking. Um, uh, because I'm playing online, I think digital note taking is something that's going to really, really help me. And in the past, I'd, I'd used John Four's campaign logger. Um, I found it at the table quite difficult because typing whilst trying to talk to people at the table, I find difficult to do. But the campaign logger is more like it's kind of like you're collecting little Twitter notes, and you they, and they get kind of the way. The wonder of it is it, it tags things and it auto links tags together. So. You, for example, if you tag the name of a character and that keeps coming up, then you can look at the entire list of all the things that you've ever you know, logged about that character's involvement in the story and in the game. So that's a useful tool. And by some amazing coincidence, John has just done, uh, sort of sent me a link, invite me to take part in a beta of the upgraded version of Campaign Logger, which is coming soon. Um, and that just happened this morning. So I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll use the Campaign Logger again. Um, just been boodling around my mind for a couple of weeks and bing here we go so something to do. so i can help him out by playtesting it and at the same time uh, i get to try it out so i think i'm going to do that with with uh, my han game um so that was one thought that's a kind of tool to use i'm going to try that at the table because i feel like on the computer it's not too hard if to type quick notes and, and kind of keep them um and it allows me to sort of collect things together i think the problem is over time I, I lose track of things in the game and um yeah i need a process for that and alongside that is kind of john four has this idea of loopy planning where you kind of go around a loop um kind of a, a habit a habitual loop of prep i suppose which is relatively simple to do but i've never really tried his method so i might give that a go as well for um you know for a while and just see how that works and see if, if it works really um there are many assumptions that john how john four has about um, how games should be played and, and, and all the rest of it that i don't agree with for example he believes in plots and i don't um but you know i think that still nonetheless there are many things to take from from the the, the great you know gm tip stuff that he does and from time to time there are gems in there amongst a lot of static Anyway, um, so that's one thought. And the other thought on Han was just to say that I kind of figured out how I'm going to approach it. So Han has an incredible amount of detail from a very high level view right the way down to like incredible detail in some areas, but not in all areas. I mean, the whole of the island hasn't been mapped in extreme excruciating detail. Um, but what you have is a kind of, as GM, you have a kind of a, an encyclopedia with a series of short entries. And I think that almost everything in the game or in the world, sorry, is is actually in there somewhere or broadly speaking in every organization, every kind of kind of key place and all that sort of stuff. And as you if you like, so, for example, there's the city of Tashel, there'll be an interest you know, where we're starting. There'll be a, an entry for that, which is relatively short, um, longer because it's a major city and all the rest of it, but still relatively short amount of information. And then there's a whole supplement for Tashel. And then, of course, from the, underneath that, there are loads and loads of extra fan 
fan stuff and other bits of specific information that you can you can get and you can drill down further and each of those is a little module that you can kind of slip in and out of the idea is you have a big binder a paper binder and you kind of slip things in and out now i think that what way i'm looking at this is to use the encyclopedia entry as my launching off point to sort of say well that's true in 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 Han, right and in webster's Han, that's true but when we drill down, it's up to me whether I'm going to use the written module and drill down and use that as written or whether I'm going to use that as a guide or whether I'm just not going to have it and I'm actually going to do my own thing. And that's kind of what I figured how to make this manageable for myself. So if you like, the big picture stuff is probably true of Webster's Hahn and that makes the sort of the, the, the whole encyclopedia true and the maps are like probably broadly speaking useful and true. But as we drill down and the more down we go, the less likely it is that what's written in canon, if you like, or fanon, is actually going to be the way it is in my world. And and that mentally for me has been a really, really big breakthrough. Anyway, I've talked for nearly 30 minutes. I'm going to shut up. Game on. <laughs>